Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. With all due respect, I reject your theory completely. But you know what? There needs to be some backlash to this. This would be disastrous. There really has to be a better way. And I think the biggest question here is, what the hell is going on? The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 414-799-1620. Move for present. Get in the race. Will he run? And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So, Jane Matinere. This, this is one of the, the, the sort of oddities about my personality, and, and I acknowledge it. But I'm one of these people who I, I love dealing with, with the government and being pleasantly surprised when, when things work out. You know, I'm just I, I'm, I'm very much open to that. And it, it's always and you always get interesting stories, right? Sure, sure. For example, I might have told you this story as well. I remember a couple of years ago before Fran and I got married, we, we had to go in for our wedding license and. Um, we went to Washington County. She lived in Washington County. So we went into the Washington County Courthouse to get the, the marriage license. And you fill out these forms and you have to have all, all these things to prove that you're not married and stuff like that. And they ask you all these questions. So we're sitting, we're sitting down in this little booth and there's this nice woman from Washington County who's going through the questionnaire and they're asking the various questions and they get to the one, one of the questions, honest to God, Janie, that they ask is, are you first cousins? They ask that. So, oh, were this, you t- did you make a joke? Well, well no. At this, at, at this, well, at this point in time, Fran is now looking straight ahead because she knows she. And I, I can just tell it's one of those things about don't be clever, don't be clever, <laughs> don't be clever. Just let this go. Let's get through this. Get the damn marriage license and then just get on. Okay, but I, I, I can't. I'm so I'm sitting there and and I said, <laughs> she says, "Are you first cousins?" And I said, "Are we first cousins?" And I, I said. I'm just curious, you know, at which point in time, you know, I, I said, I, I'm just curious. Does anybody ever say yes to that question? And, and the woman said, we hope to God no. Oh, you man. Know, because it's and then because in Wisconsin, under the law, as a general rule, first cousins can't marry, you know, because you don't want the family tree to be a wreath. But there are certain exceptions where if you are over a certain age or you have been sterilized, First cousins can marry. But if you say yes to that question, then they have to start asking. Then you have to go to like this other form and start asking you whether or not you're, you know, whether or not you fit into those different sure. categories. Well, they don't want you to have children. Exactly. Yeah. No, that, 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 that's, they don't want you to have children. I mean, I guess I, I, I kind of like, does anybody ever say yes? And she says, well, I've been doing this for 14 years. Nobody has. But one of the other girls in the office, yeah, somebody said yes. And then, you know, wow. Just, but it, but it was just an interesting story, you know, and, and Fran's walking out. You said, you just couldn't resist. You couldn't help yourself. I said, well, no. I mean, I, it's just, you don't think of first cousins getting married. Now, obviously, I'm going to get some email from somebody who said, oh, I married my first cousin. Well, and they're, and they'll be offended, but sorry. You know, it's just, it's kind of that. But I love going with these, when you're dealing with the bureaucracy and, you know, it's just, you just never know what kind of question they're going to ask you. So, which brings me to my story today. The, uh, you know, I, I always, we criticize bureaucracies and we criticize government agencies and things like that. But I, I just, I want to give a shout out when it all goes well. Now, Jane, I know you have, you've got the global entry I do. thing. Right. And have for a long time. Okay. Well, I, I never have. Now, if, if you, if you travel 
even a little bit, you know that there's this. You've got the you've got the regular line that you get into when you're flying domestically, and then you've got that TSA pre-check line that's kind of a fancy line where you don't have to take off your shoes and you don't have to take your computer out of your bag and all right. those type of things. And you just kind of like look longingly at the people who are in that. And every once in a while, when you book a plane ticket, you you end up getting assigned that TSA pre-check, and you don't know what you did. Well, okay, I, I've never done that. And finally I decided this is silly because, you know, we fly domestically, I don't know, four or five times a year. And at least once lately, we've been going overseas at least once, and maybe we'll do that more. So I figure, okay, now is the time to, to do this. We've got our trip coming up um, down the uh, Rhine in September. So I, I looked in TSA PreCheck, which is just domestic. That's 85 bucks. Global entry, which includes your domestic TSA PreCheck and also lets you get through customs quicker. That's a hundred bucks. So for fifteen dollars extra, you get that added thing. It's so worth it, Jeff. My husband and I go overseas like once a year, and coming into Chicago O'Hare at the international terminal, and I've we've come in and come down where the stairs are, where you right. finally get to, and it's been backed up that far. And if you have TSA PreCheck, you get to go around all of those people. Right, or the global entry. The, yeah. with, with the global right. entry. Yeah, it's, it's, it's absolutely worth it. Well, so I, I finally came to that conclusion. And so a few weeks ago, I, I sit down and, you know, it's, it's really easy to do. And I kind of, it takes me about five or 10 minutes to fill out the form. And I'm thinking I'm getting into this huge government bureaucracy and this is going to take forever. And so I, I fill this out. It costs a hundred bucks. You got to put in your credit card, but, uh, and then, then they give you this thing saying, well, because we've got so many people at the border and because of the government shutdown, we're all backlogged on this stuff. But I, I get a notice like two days later saying you're you're pre-approved. Now, you know, here the next step is you schedule an interview. So I'm thinking, OK, this is going to be six months or something. I, I go online. The customs office is down on uh, Howell Avenue, just just south of Howard there, you know, right? Right. But they've got their own little parking lot. Couldn't be easier. I, I schedule my appointment, which was for 9.15 this morning. And I'm thinking, oh, I'm going to be stuck in this waiting room for 30 minutes, and it's just going to be a chore. I got there about 8.55. I go up. I sign up on the sheet. I sit down. Within two minutes, this nice lady comes out, takes me in. Looks at this, says, are you still at the same address? Looks at the passport, looks at my driver's license, takes my picture, takes my fingerprints, and says, you're done. And I said, well, okay, does this mean, am I going to get a card in months or something? And she says, well, you get a card, but you're done. You're, you're, you're I'm in. Pro- I am processing it today. This is your number. That's your TSA number. You go in, you can, you put that in now. You are approved right now. Wow. Or, or you will be, in, you know, in an hour or so. And I got a notice saying that. And so it's like, I'm going, oh, wow, none, none of these delays. I was thinking, do I need to pay like some expedited fee because we're going to Europe in you know about a month or so? No, she said, you're done. You know, it's, it's all set. Didn't you expect like a hot light? You know, I, I, I did. I was wondering, you know, I mean, you know, did, can I see your Social Security card, all that stuff? The woman could not have been more pleasant. It was just it was a wonderful experience. So if you do any traveling and certainly, again, if you do a much overseas traveling, I just cannot rave about it enough right and she didn't ask me if my wife and i were first cousins so it's all it's all well she can tell by looking <laughs> it's just all it's just all kind of are you first cousins i just i still that that still kind of sticks in my mind but the bottom line is i we, we complain a lot about bureaucracy i will tell you this if you have ever tried to change your address with the milwaukee journal sentinel be prepared to wait for hours online it 
it was again you can get a global entry pass from you know US customs and you can do it in a matter of minutes you know hours and hours and hours to change something with your journal sub- sentinel subscription so you know here's one where the federal government is just beating the private sector big time and you know if you do i i am i'm just a believer if you fly you know, even if you fly domestically once or twice a, a year, it's worth it. It's a hundred bucks and it's good for, you know, five years and it could not be more painless. All right. When we come back, speaking of painless, all right. The controversy involving the president isn't going anywhere. Stick around. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. The president's comments about Baltimore are not going away, but they are interestingly opening up a dialogue. Everybody knows the story by now. Um, You have a congressman from West Baltimore. West Baltimore is one of the most dangerous crime infested cities in the United States. If you've seen the HBO drama, The Wire, um, it's not that that's a pretty realistic portrayal, which isn't to say that there are not some areas of Baltimore which are nice. I'm originally from Baltimore. My my dad was from Baltimore, but it, it's what has gone on in Baltimore is nothing short of a national tragedy. Um, when you had all the stimulus money under Barack Obama, they put like two billion dollars into Baltimore. It doesn't make any difference. Hasn't made any difference at all. This year, objectively, there have been 32 more murders in Baltimore than there have been in New York City. Not 32 murders, 32 more murders in Baltimore than New York City. Baltimore is one fourteenth the size of New York City. It It is... It is arguably, and you know, again, if you're looking, talking about like West Baltimore, where Elijah Cumming represents, it's it's one of it's one of the least desirable places to live in the country. That is the reality. So President Trump, who gets angry over the weekend after Elijah Cumming, the congressman from this area, you know, rips into the guy from Homeland Security, you know, accusing him of not caring that you have kids detained at the border. And the guy says, well, we're, we're doing our best. And of course, what he's trying to explain is, you know, we, you know, we plan on, on maybe 20,000 people coming in a, for a year asking for asylum, you know, not 20,000 in a week. And, and yes, we are overwhelmed, but we're doing the best we can. So, you know, Elijah Cumming, the congressman, he's just ripping on the guy from Homeland Security. And Trump says, well, you know, maybe, you know, what you should be doing is, you know, you represent one of the, you know, worst cities, you know, most crime infested, rodent infested, and it is, you know, areas in, in the country. You know, maybe you should be concerned more about your district than, you know, worrying about stuff that goes on in the border. You haven't even been at the border. And immediately this is denounced as, as racist. Oh, if you criticize a, a black congressman who represents a primarily uh, majority minority district, well, you have to be racist. Our number is 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Actually, in perhaps somewhat of a ham-handed way, and many of the stuff, the things that the president does is ham-handed, I think he's opened up an important dialogue, and that is you have many large urban cities. You know, Baltimore's not the only one. You can make the argument about San Francisco. You can make the argument perhaps about Los Angeles and other urban areas. 
are just in a period of huge decline. Now, interestingly, most of those cities, if you want to get political, most of those cities have been dominated by liberal leadership for the last several decades. But President Trump calls out, and you know, and, and I guess I would say truth is an absolute defense. I mean, the conditions in West Baltimore are absolutely appalling. And you have a guy, a congressman in this case, who's represented that district for 26 years. And despite having, in this case, you know, hundreds of millions or billions of dollars of economic stimulus poured into it, it hasn't gotten any better at all. Is it unfair for President Trump to make that an issue. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And and I guess, you know, from an interesting political perspective, even though, once again, I think this is kind of ham-handed, is this, is this the hill, figuratively speaking, that Democrats want to die on? Do you, do you want to defend, you know, West Baltimore? Do you want to defend the open-air drug markets? Do you want to defend the killings? Do you want to defend the, you know, the, the the fact that this has been going on for decades? I mean, is this is this the image? And I understand you can play the race card and, well, look what he said. But, you know, isn't truth an absolute defense? 414-799-1620. We discuss in a moment. Gru is lining up the calls. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Kevin text Jeff. It's not unfair at all. I've been hearing for decades about all the problems in urban area. Politicians keep promising programs, and then the same people complain about the same problems. If you're waiting for a politician to help you, you're going to wait a very long time. Trump could have been more elegant, eloquent, but he was right on. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Jeff, I'm glad Trump said what he said. Cummings is a bully hypocrite. Well, o- only to the extent. That you're, you know, you're beating up this guy from Homeland Security. And look, Homeland Security at the border, the reality is they are overwhelmed. And when we were talking to Senator Ron Johnson last week, you know, he was describing these detention facilities at the border as essentially being, they're like police stations. They're like local police stations. They're, they have never been intended to deal with thousands and thousands of people rushing the border demanding asylum on a daily basis that they're just not equipped to do that so you have these customs folks the immigration folks who you know don't have adequate resources and you've got some of these congress people who are parachuting in for their photo ops saying oh look this is terrible we have all these people in cages but they don't offer solutions i mean is is their solution well just let everybody in and let's open the borders well that's what they perhaps they want but they don't have the guts to say that because they know that that's not where the american people really are the open borders type of stuff so you pick on homeland security and you know i think president trump is in a situation of hey before you start picking on conditions of the border maybe you know maybe you want to look out you know the window and see what's going on in this community 414-799-1620 mark in heartland mark you're on wtmj yeah hi Jeff. thanks for taking my call sure um, like like i was t- telling you a screener um maybe president trump hit the nail right on the head maybe instead of casting political stones representative cummings and the mayor of baltimore Use something called a telephone, call Mayor Giuliani of New York City, and ask him how, according to both sides of the aisle, he turned that city around, crime-wise, yep. um, economically, socially, 
everybody says how good a job he did, instead of just making political statements, let's call the mayor and see how to solve the problem. Well, well right, exactly. And and the idea that you can just throw money at it, that's why I brought up the point. You know, Baltimore got, when, when we were back with during the Obama years, you know, Baltimore got like $1.8 billion in, in economic stimulus. You know, we threw all this federal money at them, and, and it really didn't make a lot of difference, at least in the economically challenged areas. No, thanks to call. Now, don't get me wrong. There, there are some areas of Baltimore which are extremely nice. You've got Harbor Place around the inner area. Now, when, when I was a kid, and when we went back to visit, like, my grandparents and stuff, I mean, the, the inner harbor where you've now got the National Aquarium and stuff, that was like the red light district. And and it's true, put all this money into that immediate area, and it's very, very gentrified. It's, by the way, overwhelmingly white, interestingly enough. But just like Atlantic City, you know, when they got the casinos, there was no spillover, you know, from, from the boardwalk. Um, same thing is true in Baltimore. You have this really nice area right along, again, the National Harbor in Chesapeake Bay, but, you know, you go further out, and, and, and there's the city is just it's a disaster and seriously is this is this what we want to say i mean do you want to do, do people who want to see president trump lose do you really want to go into the 2020 election with your mantra being hey we you know we are baltimore look look at look at what we've done well i i just i, I think the bottom line is not a lot of people are going to be happy with that and i i understand that, you know, you've got the whole, is Trump a racist issue? And I understand it comes on the heels of his tweets, you know, two weeks ago about, you know, let's send, send them back to where they came from, which I'm not going to defend. I think that that was an incredibly short-sighted and dumb thing to say. But in this particular case, I think to play the race card is to do a disservice to the very real issues. You know, and, and my my message to the congressman is, okay, I understand that, you know, railing on Homeland Security gets you five minutes of fame on CNN, but maybe President Trump is right. Maybe you should spend some more time trying to take care of things at home. When we come back after the news, would you like Congress to save you thousands of dollars? My answer is heck yes. Stick around. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. Hey, we're talking about the State Fair. It starts Thursday. I will be broadcasting live, I think, every weekday of the fair. There's an early Brewers game on Thursday, but I'll be there till 2 o'clock. They play the Cubs in Wrigley Field on Friday, but still, I'll have about an hour and a half show. And then I think lots of shows next week. So if you're coming out to the State Fair, stop by, say hello. I try to come out during the breaks and get a chance to meet you. Hey, do you want State Fair tickets? Well, we are your best chance to win tickets to the State Fair sometime between now and 3 o'clock. During my show, you'll have a chance to win two free tickets to the fair. We're doing that today and tomorrow. Good luck. All right. I understand that Republicans and Democrats can't agree on anything. Can't agree on anything. Chocolate or vanilla ice cream doesn't matter. People can't agree on anything. This is one thing that we might be able to get bipartisan agreement on, even in the area of health care. Healthcare remains to be, you know, one of the, the big divides in this country. Do you want Medicare for all? Do you want expanded Obamacare? Do we want to do away with Obamacare and go back to the old system? Do we want to say to the, you know, tens of millions of, of Americans who get their insurance through their employers that you can't have that anymore? My answer would be no. But th- there's all these different conflicts that are out there. There is one issue 
that I think we could all agree on. And it's something that Congress could do. And they appear to perhaps be on the verge of doing it. And that is ending surprise medical bills. Now, I'm not a big government guy, but I got to tell you, I think this is a good idea. What is a surprise medical bill? All right. For for many people who have insurance, private insurance, you have network providers. Your employer you know, negotiates with a healthcare company who then negotiates with different doctors and healthcare hospitals, whatever, and they have network charges. And, you know, if you choose to go to a doctor that is in network or a hospital that is in network, well, okay, you pay less than if you go out of network. It's a negotiated type of thing. Well, here's sometimes where there has a problem is a problem. Let's take, for example, a colonoscopy. All right. It's lunchtime. He's talking about colonoscopies. Well, it's something that people are supposed to have. So let's imagine a situation where you go to your primary care physician and your primary care physician says, Gru, you're overdue for your colonoscopy. Time to do it. Let's set it up. And you say, well, I'm not looking forward to this, but okay. So your primary care physician gives you a referral to probably the hospital that's in his in your network, and you get this call and you make arrangements. You say, okay, I'm, I'm going to go in. I'm going to have the colonoscopy. Uh, my doctor is in this health network. I'm going to the hospital that's in the health network. I'm going to follow his recommendation, and I'm going to get the colonoscopy. So you think everything's in network. You go to that hospital, et cetera, et cetera. You have the procedure done, and then after the procedure, you're surprised when you get a bill for I don't know three or four thousand dollars from the anesthesiologist, not not the guy that performed the colonoscopy, but the anesthesiologist, because as it turns out, the anesthesiologist who's working at that hospital, but but he's he's not in the network. He or she they're not in the network, so you know you get billed the full freight, and you say, well wait a second. I, I, I had no idea about this. I mean, I, how, how am I supposed to know and ask whether everybody that's involved in this procedure is going to be in network? My in-network doctor set me up for a colonoscopy at the in-network hospital. The doctor who performed the colonoscopy was part of that hospital. That's in-network. How, how do I know that the I, I don't even met the anesthesiologist till you know two minutes before they were going to put me under. I I had no idea of knowing who he was, and now all of a sudden I'm getting a bill for several thousand dollars when another otherwise it would have been you know covered by insurance or a hundred a couple hundred dollars or whatever. That happens a lot, and perhaps it has happened to you. And you say, well, look, I, I if I had known that this anesthesiologist was out of network, I wouldn't have done it, or I wouldn't have gone ahead with him, or I would have gone somewhere else because, you know, I, I thought this whole procedure was going to be covered. Well, what Congress is looking at doing right now, and it appears to have some bipartisan support, is passing a law which would have the government directly regulate the prices that what they call ancillary providers could charge. In this case, the the anesthesiologist would be the would be the ancillary provider. The anesthesiologist, the way it would work, couldn't just send his own bill. The anesthesiologist would get a payment from the patient's insurance company that would be equal to the median payment that the insurance 
uh, company offers specialists providing that service. So, in other words, if you were to go to you know XYZ Hospital and have an anesthesiologist that was part of that network, and that person, the compensation would be such and such, well, then the, the person, you know, the ancillary provider, that's what their compensation would be. Our number is 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This is, you know, one of, this is one of these issues that I think is easy. And again, I'm not a big government guy, but I think if we're going to start, and this is just a start, to get a handle on health care costs, there needs to be some degree of transparency, and there also needs to be some way to prevent consumers from being taken advantage of by, you know, a system that they really, that they have no option about knowing about. Who knows whether the anesthesiologist is in network or not? Who thinks to ask when the doctor refers you for the colonoscopy and you go to the hospital that he set you up with and the doctor that's going to be performing the colonoscopy is in network? Who thinks to ask, hey, is everybody else that might have something to do with this, whether they're reading the x-rays or whether they're going to be the anesthesiologist, is everybody else you know, in network? 414-799-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Do we need to rein in these surprise charges and... Have you ever been hit by something like this? My guess is this has been an unpleasant surprise for a number of people, and, and it's only getting worse. It's something that the government could do something about. 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And again, I'm not this big government guy, but until we have clear transparency, you know, when it comes to hospital billings, I think people deserve to know, you know, what the cost of a procedure is going to be. And you shouldn't be surprised when something out of your control rolls around. And, gee, if, you know, if I had known that, I wouldn't have gone there and done it. 414-799-1620, we discuss in a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. Back to take your calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. I mean, seriously, who asks if the anesthesiologist is in network? Who asks if the person that's going to read the x-rays is in network? Your network, you know, your primary care physician sends you to the network health provider. You just assume it's all going to be a network. This, it, it's just, it's a racket, and I think the government should stop it. Steve in Appleton. Steve, you're on WTMJ. Steve. Uh, hi. Hi, Steve. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. Yeah, about 15 years ago, I had the exact same scenario with the colonoscopy. My doctor referred me in network, and uh, the colonoscopy, um, I found a small polyp that wanted to take out with, you know, just a, a sure. little arthroscopic, a couple holes. Well, five hours later, I woke up with about a 12-inch scar straight across my abdomen to yeah. find the polyp. So apparently he was a very good uh, colonoscopy uh, guy, but a terrible surgeon. Right. But I had no choice where I was. I was out. And it turns out he was no longer in that network. And that's part of the problem. The doctors change networks all the time. Sure. But you, can't, you might get a referral to a doctor who they thought was in network, but by the time you are there and have the procedure, they're no longer in network. It cost me about $12,000 more than I would have if it would have been in network. Right, and if you knew that that doctor was not in network, you wouldn't have gone to that doctor, right? No, exactly. Yeah. 
No, right. No, thanks. I, see that. No, I, I pre- that. See that. That that's what the that's what the key is. We we you know we preach transparency and all these things, and and we preach you know consumers having to take control of things like that. But the reality is, you know, in a situation like that, you know, you're just you are assuming, and I don't think it's a bad assumption. You know, your network doctor sends you to the network hospital, and all of a sudden, boom, you get a surprise twelve thousand dollar bill. Jim in Brookfield. Jim, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Yeah. Hi. Um, hi I, I had that exact thing. I had that exact thing happen to me uh, for my wife, and she ended up paying over three thousand, only three thousand uh, uh, dollars towards towards that. But they never said anything either. So we had a meeting at our uh, place of employment, and they said that, um, and they said uh, that um, there's a place on the south side that does. Going to ask visa that for half the price of what you paid for yours, where you went. Right. And I'm like, so how come they don't make a book that shows the prices for these things? Sure. Right. Because it, there's so much difference. Well, right. Because that, right. Thanks. Because that, that, again, that gives you the transparency. But it, at least, and, and I, I'm all in favor of that. I mean, I, I think that the stuff should be disclosed up front. You understand what the costs are. Because the truth is, most people. I, it's just human nature. Most people don't care. What they want to know is what's going to be covered and what's my deductible going to be and that type of stuff. Whereas, you know, that, you know, if you're buying a car, well, okay, you're, you're worried about, okay, how much is the total cost going to be? In healthcare, it's different. But in this particular case, for at least this one narrow issue, you have people that I think they think they're doing all the right stuff and then suddenly they find circumstances beyond their control. Um, they end up getting dinged. And I guess I just believe that's fundamentally wrong. Mike in Kenosha. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Hey, thanks for taking my call. Sure. So we're actually going through it right now. My wife is supposed to be getting a preventative colonoscopy, which, according to my insurance, is supposed to be 100% covered. Right. When we get a follow-up check, we find out that the initial consultation actually isn't covered under the preventative because it's meeting with another doctor. So we try to find out what does it cost. We got sent to five different groups within the doctor's group, but no one would give you an exact dollar amount of what (laughs) the expectation is supposed to be. And we're like, but wait, this is part of the preventative. We can't just walk in and get this. If you go get an x-ray, it's 100% covered. You're not doing some preventative talking or something. So we decided it was a racket, and we're just sort of – at least we're not going to be completely surprised when we see a bill, but right. we know we're going to be getting something. Right. No, absolutely. Thanks. You know, and you raise another thing. I don't want to get too far in the weeds, but you know, actually, the Journal Sentinel had an excellent piece a few months ago written by a friend of mine, Meg Kissinger, about the difference between. A, a preventive and a diagnostic colonoscopy in this case, I think, and and one is covered. I think I uh, one is covered and you know pretty much entirely, and one isn't. You know, it's subject to the deductibles and stuff, and and depending how it gets coded, that can affect these things as well. But I mean, I mean, part of the bottom line is, I mean, patients got to take control of this because I I don't necessarily think, with all due respect, I don't think uh, some of the healthcare providers are necessarily, at least from a financial perspective, necessarily looking out sometimes for the best interest of the the patients. And, and you got to be aware of this. Steve in Madison, Steve, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Jeff, thanks for taking my call. Sure. I, um, I'm a former uh, health system administrator and have uh, many comments on this. First of all, you're spot on. I'm a, I'm a fiscal conservative, and I support l- less government than more. 
But in this case, I agree with you. Um, having some government intervention requiring hospitals to employ providers or work with providers that only have that have the same coverages that they do, ensuring that everyone within that care setting is a network would be a good thing. We have a tremendous long ways to go as improving the system for our citizens in this country. I'm embarrassed that I was not able to solve that during my career. And you're right. Now, with respect to transparency, um, the problem with that is we can disclose to you what our gross price is, what we charge for this, but the insurance industry has to come along and play as well. Because what you incur as a Blue Cross Blue Shield member as a bill may be much different than United Healthcare or a network health plan, et cetera. Right, and the insurance so, companies don't want to declare that because they think it's proprietary and correct. yes, and, and right, and I don't, yeah, I, I'm sorry, Steve, I'm, I'm sorry, I don't mean to cut you off, but I'm kind of up against the clock, I, and I do appreciate your perspective, and and we're going to revisit this from time to time because I'm not, I am not a guy that wants to see Medicare for all. I don't think that's in the best interest of of us as a country, but that, that doesn't mean that I don't think that we, we have problems with the health care system, and, and one of the key things is reining in costs, and in particular, it, it starts, look, this is just a simple little thing, but it's something that is very significant if all of a sudden, you know, you thought, hey, this was all going to be covered, and suddenly you've got this bill for $5,000 or $3,000 or whatever it is that you didn't think you were going to get, and you're getting through no fault of your own. And again, going back to where we started on this, I'm not a big government guy, but as long as as long as we've got the Affordable Care Act and as long as we've got all these conversations, let, let's start on some stuff which makes sense, which is – for the consumers who think they're doing the responsible thing, you know, we're all in network. You know, you don't know that the anesthesiologist or the radiologist or whatever is out of network. You shouldn't be subject to surprise charges. Congress, get off your butts and get this done. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. Let me be clear here. Not all women are created equally, and in some cases, I think some things that go on are just fundamentally unfair. Let me tell you the story about Lauren Laurel Hubbard. Laurel Hubbard is 41 years old, and she is from New Zealand. Before Laurel Hubbard was Laurel Hubbard, she was Gavin Hubbard. Gavin Hubbard was a very, very successful world-class weightlifter for New Zealand. And oh, back in about, about six or seven years ago, when he was in his mid-30s, he decided that um, he was really a female, and he began the process, and this is a very successful weightlifter, he began the process of transitioning into a female, and now Gavin Hubbard has become Laurel Hubbard. All right, that, that, that's all well and good. Laurel Hubbard has continued her interest in weightlifting, and she is competing for New Zealand as a weightlifter. Now, what's happened is she, Laurel Hubbard, formerly Gavin Hubbard, world-class you know, weightlifter, Laurel Hubbard has been just blasting all sorts of records. Um, over the last couple years for women weightlifters. 
Um, she, for example, um, twenty fifteen set all sorts of records for the you know clean the clean and jerk division. You know, lifting lots and lots more weight than people who have not been you know males transitioned to females have been. Now, this has become a controversy because you've got the Tokyo Olympics that are coming up next year. Laurel Hubbard competes for the New Zealand team. She recently won a gold medal at the Pacific Games, again, as a women's weightlifter from New Zealand, beating all the competition. And you have a number of these these other countries that are now starting to protest and say that this is unfair. A couple of years ago, in a bout of political correctness, the International Olympic Committee said that, well, you know, we think it's okay for, you know, transgender athletes to compete in whatever category it is that they identify with. So now what they're finding, though, is you have this woman who was a man. Yes, she's taken the hormones and her testosterone content is drawn down. But what all these scientists are saying is they're saying, look, There is a difference between boys and girls. And typically, men have about, on average, 25% more upper body strength than women do. And, And yes, Laurel Hubbard transitioned from Gavin Hubbard. And yes, the testosterone level has dropped. But that doesn't change the fact that, you know, she, you know, had had a guy's body and has a lot of that residual effect of, of the guy's body. And so you have a lot of these other now female weightlifters who are complaining. They're saying, look, we can't compete. This is, you know, this is like us, you know, going and trying to compete against a man. And it's just fundamentally unfair. And what some people are saying is, look, if the if the Olympics Committee, you know, wants to have a competition with, with transgender athletes, Go with God. I mean, that that's fine. Do it. But it's not fair to have essentially, in this case, a guy, a person who was a male for 30-some years, successful world-class weightlifter, who is now competing against women. They say that's just not fair. If you want to have a category for transgender, you know, weightlifters or athletes, that that's fine. Have them compete against each other. But allowing this man who is now transitioned to a female. And I don't mean to be insulting. That's not the purpose of this. But my question to you is, and I mean, I, I want you to think this through and think what this means for, you know, competitions all over. You know, we're talking about the Olympics, but, you know, th- this could play out on the high school level or the college level or, or whatever. You know, do you think it is fair for... In this case, somebody who's been a guy for 30-some years who has all that built-up upper body strength, etc., and the build of a guy who, yes, has done the transition and, yes, has taken the hormones, but that doesn't change the, the build that they have and the strength that they have built up. Is it fair to have that person be able to compete, in this case, against women? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And I have to be honest with you, if... I, I understand where these complaints are, are coming from because we go back to the basic premise that boys and girls are different. I would argue that in this particular case, yes, the male who is transitioned into female has a physical advantage 
over the other women. Now, maybe this wouldn't play out in a lot of different circumstances, but you have to keep in mind, before the guy transitioned into a female, he was already, he was a world-class, you know, weightlifter in his own right. So it's not like, okay, you know, Jeff, we'll use Gru as an example. Gru, you're a guy, you want to transition into being a female, and you're going to be a weightlifter. I mean, it's it's coming out of the clear blue. It's not like that. In this case, you have a world-class weightlifter who's now transitioned into becoming a female and is competing against the ladies. 414-799-1620. Should the Olympics allow this? And are the objections by some of the other females legitimate? My answer would be, I think so. 414-799-1620. We discuss in a moment. Gru is lining up the calls. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Look, I, I'm not being a hater. I, I just don't think it's fair. 414-799-1620. Here's a text. Uh, Jeff, and the other competitors should boycott. A man's frame is so much different than a woman. I don't care if she has transitioned. I guess that's that's my point. You know, you, you transition in your mid thirties. You're a world class male bodybuilder. Your 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 frame isn't going to change a, at all. Yes, you can take the hormones. Your testosterone level can low can be lowered, but you're you're still you got the guy's body in many respects. Emma in Heartland. Emma, you're first. Good afternoon. Hi, I'm a high school and we had to do a presentation on this and we found that men outperform women in athletic events by 18%. Mm-hmm. So I think it'd be very unfair for them to be competing against a woman. Well, well, yeah. And again, it's, I, I, look, and I'm not, you gotta understand, Emma, I, maybe the answer is compete, you know, you, you set up a, a separate category for, you know, the, the transgender competitors and, and let them compete against each other. But I just, Again, I think you can think of all sorts of examples. This is weightlifting, but, but yeah, men, men's frames as a general rule, you know, they're, they're bigger. Men tend to be stronger as a general rule. There's certain exceptions. And I guess, especially at the world class level, I'm with you. I just think it's unfair to the women who are competing. So thanks. Yeah. For, yeah. Exactly. No, th- thanks to call. Well, I mean, right. And that's, and, and you know, you, you were using the number 20%. The number I'm looking at in my stories is a, a lot of the doctors say upper body strength, important for weightlifting. You know, generally speaking, you know, men have 20 to 25% more. And I, I understand that there there's, you know, women who have very powerful upper bodies. And my guess is if you're a world-class weightlifter, you'd be one of those. But still, regardless, uh, somebody who's a male, you know, comparing apples to apples, you know, has has that greater upper body strength as well. I just don't think it's fair. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Diane in Greendale. Diane, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Dan. Listen, I played on a, so- a women's softball league, and on one of the teams, uh, they had a woman that ha- or a man that had transitioned into a woman. And when she got up to bat, we couldn't even field the ball. We would just stand there because she hit a home run. We right. couldn't, we, she was so strong. Right. Yeah, we, we couldn't feel the balls at all. Right, because even even though, you know, the, the person had transitioned from a male to a female and taken the hormones and all that sort of stuff and done the other things, that they still had the male so body strong. and the male strength. Yeah. And I guess I just, I, again, it's just, it seems to me that stacking, regardless of how you do it, whether we're talking about the Olympics and weightlifting or, you know, a high school, you know, volleyball team right. or, or whatever. It just right. seems to me that's unfair to the other women who are competing. Right. We couldn't play. We couldn't, we absolutely couldn't field, 
feel the ball she was hitting. They were so so fast. Right. And so, I mean, maybe, okay, so in a softball league, okay, maybe you say, all right, this is, you know, big deal. But, you know, when you're talking about the Olympics and, and people right. that train for their whole lifetime right. and that, no. No, thanks for calling. I mean, it just, I guess, look, I, I'm not a scientist and I'm not a biologist, but, I mean, this just, this just, it just makes sense that somebody who, until their mid-30s, was a world-class male weightlifter, yeah, they take the hormones. Yes, uh, that, that's fine. You want to transition. Okay, I'm, I'm cool with that. But I just don't think you should then suddenly be treated as a female for all these other competitive sort of purposes. Let's talk to Troy in Wauwatosa. Hi, Troy. Hey, how are you doing this afternoon? Thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. Hey, you know, uh, I've been an athlete all my life. Uh, played Division One football. Uh, I've been a youth soccer, baseball, football, basketball coach all my life. And you know, there's a there's a big difference between man and fe- man and woman. Yeah. And one of the perfect examples, and I know a lot of people don't watch this, or some people do, but recently there was a UFC fight with a transgender male and a woman, and the transgender like literally like beat the pulp out of this woman. Mm-hmm. And it was like, it was very sad to see. And I think it's kind of, to me, it's like, it's common sense. I don't yeah. know why other people don't see it. It's common sense to me that if you're a man, you have more muscle mass than women do. And you're going to be stronger no matter if the hormones or not. And I think that people are, it's trying to be too, too, what do you want to say? Politically not, correct. Uh, <laughs> politically correct. Exactly. And, and that's and that's not the way to go about it when you're talking about athletics events and things because there's a total disparity between that and they need to correct that i think this is totally wrong yeah well i mean let's go back to your example troy i mean let's take basketball as an example and this is not intended to knock female athletes in any way but you you look at the difference in skill set between players at the top level guys that play in the nba versus women that play in the wnba i mean and you just look at the the Guys are bigger, they're stronger, they're faster. They jump higher. Right. I mean, it's, it's, it's just it's just a natural thing. It's not a knock on women. Nope. I love I love women's soccer. I love women's basketball. My daughter played college soccer, Madison Edgewood. You know, so right. I mean, I, I love everything that women do. But there's obviously there's a a difference when it comes to muscle mass and different things that you can do physically and to bring a to bring a man in, and hey, you have every right to be yeah. who you want to be, but competition should be equal. Yeah, no, th- thanks. Sir. I mean, I, I guess I agree completely. And of course, the the International Olympic Committee opened up the door to this when they decided they wanted to be inclusive and we don't want to discriminate against transgender people and we want to be politically correct and all that. But what what they've done by allowing people in this circumstance to compete is I, I think they've just tilted the playing field in this case in, in favor of the transgender weightlifter. And I don't mean that as a hater. I mean, to me, the, the answer is, you know, we have, you know, you got, there's all sorts of different athletic competitions that you, you end up, you know, creating. Um, why? Maybe this is the justification for saying, okay, we're going to have special categories for the transgender athletes. So, you know, people who've transitioned from male to female, they can compete with people who are similarly situated. But it's just fundamentally not fair 
to the women. And I, I don't know if this is going to get any traction because, again, when you talk about this, people roll their eyes and they think that you're being a hater and, oh, this is just more discrimination against transgender folks. No, it, it's not that at all. It's more like, again, protecting the field from people who may have an unfair advantage because biologically, frame-wise, you were born a male, you developed this great upper body strength as a male, and now, yes, you've changed your gender, but you still got the body frame of a male. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. We talked about this last week. The Journal Sentinel has just posted a story talking about what a mess the city and Milwaukee County is in in connection with the trolley and with this building that now appears to be stalled at the couture the couture is this it's this I mean, right now, it's, it's just a, a plan, and it's intended to be a large high-rise on the corner of Michigan and um, Lincoln Memorial Drive. It, when, I, when I worked in the U.S. Attorney's Office, it was a parking lot. And then, in its infinite wisdom, Milwaukee County turned this prime piece of near lakefront re, uh, real estate into a bus depot, but they did it with public with federal money okay so here here's the deal so this developer comes along and he says i want to build this great i'm going to call it the couture and it's going to be a high rise and we're going to have apartments and condos and we're going to have retail and office and all this type of stuff and everybody says that that looks great but he says okay in order to make this work i need some help financially so what the county does is the county says okay the area where the bus depot is we're going to sell it to you for way below market rates. We'll give you for a few hundred thousand dollars in order to make this work. So they tear down the bus depot. Well, the problem is because the bus depot was built with federal transit money, what happens, now follow me here, is unless it's used for some transit purpose, Milwaukee County has to reimburse like $6.7 million to the federal government. Because if it's not going to be used for transit. So in comes the mayor, and the mayor says, okay, well, here's the deal. I want to run the hop, the trolley. I want to run it down, you know, the Summerfest ground. So let's use this couture. We'll use this as a turnaround. And if we do that because it's the streetcar, we're not going to have to pay the feds back the money because it's still going to be used for public transit. Okay, all right, it's kind of a, you know, wink, wink, nod, nod thing, but if it all works out, it works out. Well, it turns out right now that idea was too clever by half because the developer, he's not, he, at least so far, hasn't been able to get his act together and can't get financing for the couture. Uh, the big story is about how they were looking for, you know, federal guarantees, and they, they ended up having to, they, they didn't meet application deadlines. So, I mean, this project, and right now it's a hole in the ground, is, I mean, will it be finished? Won't it be finished? I don't know. But the mess is, if it's not done, if it's bailed on, well, then Milwaukee County, they're going to have to pay the Fed $6.7 million because they tore down the bus depot. And now, you know, the streetcar isn't going to run there if this couture doesn't happen. So it's $6.7 million that Milwaukee County does not have that they're going to have to come up with. Now, there's still a chance that this could all come together. There's a chance that the guy who's developing the couture can win the lottery or can find a bunch of, you know, people that are going to finance it. But right now, this is very much up in the air. And the fact that Milwaukee County bet on the fact that this thing was going to happen and now it's seriously questioned whether it does or not taxpayers in Milwaukee County could very well be on the hook for another 6 7 million dollars 
might not happen, but unless unless the developer can get his act together or find some investors to make this happen, this could be one of the biggest flops in downtown history. Not predicting it's going to happen, just saying there's nothing that's going on thus far which should give too many people confidence that this is really going to work. And if it doesn't work, it's going to be a mess. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. One thirty-six, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right, tomorrow is the day. We've been telling you about this for a while. It is Cream Puff a Palooza, starting at six twenty in the morning. I will be out at State Fair Park, right in front of the Pettit National Ice Center. Um, that, that's of course the parking lot that runs parallel to I ninety-four. At six twenty a.m., we will start giving away Cream Puffs, free three packs of Cream Puffs. The first six hundred twenty vehicles will each get a free three pack of cream puffs um and i'm i'm going to be working one of the lines i promise so first 620 vehicles i know for some people they get up at two and three o'clock in the morning and drive down with a thermos of coffee and wait i'm not saying you have to do that but when they are gone they are gone we start at 620 tomorrow morning cream puff a palooza and of course we do this to celebrate the opening of the wisconsin state fair which is on thursday one of our favorite events of the year and i will be broadcasting live from the state fair from our Glassed-in facility. We call it the fishbowl. Yes, you can come out and look at me and say, hey, Jeff, you lost a little bit of weight. And the truth is, yes, I have lost a little bit of weight. I'm working hard on that, you know, trying to exercise every morning and walking and not eating anything good anymore. But uh, all the stuff is good for me, but I'm, I'm trying to make an effort. So down seven pounds in two weeks, and hopefully we'll, we'll keep that going. All right. I need women. Actually, I need female input because... There is a story which is circulating today. The AP wrote it. And the story's basic premise is women hate Donald Trump and will not vote for him again. Let me share with you the first paragraph, and then I I want female input on this. The headline, Suburban Women Recoil as Trump Dives into Racial Politics. This is a story by the AP, a couple of their liberal-leaning writers. Brookfield, Wisconsin. This is a national story, by the way. It's being sent around by New York Times reporters and some conservatives who don't like Donald Trump. Brookfield, Wisconsin. Carol Evans approves of Donald Trump's immigration policy. She gives him credit for the strong economy. But the Republican from the affluent Milwaukee suburbs of Waukesha County, a GOP bedrock in the state, just can't commit to voting for the president next year like she did in 2016. Quote, I just don't like the way he talks about other people. Evans, a 79-year-old retired data entry supervisor, said recently as she walked through a shopping mall at Brookfield, Wisconsin, days after Trump fired off a racist tweet at uh, Democratic Congresswomen. Of course, that's the I mean, the Associated Press and the reporters deciding it was a racist tweet, but, but nevertheless, that's it. The story goes on. Many professional suburban women, a crucial voting bloc in the 2020 election, recoil at the abrasive, divisive rhetoric exposing the president to a potential wave of opposition in key battlegrounds across the country. In more than three dozen interviews with the Associated Press, with women in critical suburbs, nearly all expressed dismay or worse 
at Trump's racially polarizing insults and what was often described as unpresidential treatment of people, even some who gave Trump credit for the economy or backed his crackdown on immigration, acknowledged they were troubled or uncomfortable lining up behind the president. The interviews in suburbs outside Philadelphia, Milwaukee, Detroit, and Denver are a warning light for the Republican president's re-election campaign. Trump did not win a majority of female voters in 2016, but he won enough, notably winning white women by roughly 10 percentage point margins, according to whatever, to help him eke out victories across the Rust Belt and take the White House. All right. Let's tee this up. And I am genuinely curious. The headline is Suburban Women Recoil as Trump dives into racial politics. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. They don't need to be a suburban women woman, but I am I do want female input on this. All right. Have you decided that you're not going to vote for President Trump again? Is is the way he conducts himself, regardless of the economy, regardless of, you know, any other issues, Supreme Court appointments, etc. Are you so, well, they use the word recoil, um, which is a very loaded word, but are you so appalled, disgusted, etc., with the president's behavior that you cannot see voting for him? 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And I, I admit, I, I find this to be a... You know, a fascinating issue. 2016, what was a term we heard all the time? It was a binary choice, Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton. And I, I just Hillary Clinton was extremely unpopular, e- even among there a lot of women just, you know, who might have appreciated the idea of a female president. You know, they, they didn't want that female president to be Hillary Clinton. So, I, I mean, I've always argued and I admit I did not think President Trump was going to be President Trump. But I mean, I think in retrospect, what what you saw is that enough people just didn't like Hillary Clinton and were willing to give Donald Trump the benefit of the doubt that he was able to, you know, win in the Electoral College. Well, this is a different dynamic. He's been the president for four years. He's been subject to uh, just, I think, withering bad press. At the same time, as I've often argued, he's his own worst enemy many times by the things he says and the things he does. So female perspective, do you recoil at President Trump? 414-799-1620. Let's start with Kelly in West Bend. Kelly, you're first. Hello. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um, No, I don't recoil. I am actually a Trump supporter. Um, The longer that he's president, the more that I like him. Do I like everything he says? No. Do I wish sometimes he would lay off Twitter? Yes. (laughs) But I'll tell you what, the things that he's doing in this country are far beyond what I thought he would and what any of the other presidential candidates would have done. So I'm willing to overlook some of these things. What do you think is his top accomplishment? Oh, well, I think that he's able to move the conservative agenda. Hmm. I like that he is, um, I'm pro-life, so I like that he's on the side of pro-life. I like that he's trying to make some progress on the border. Okay. Um, Okay. So even though you cringe with some of the things he says and some of the tweets, you you still, on, on the issues, he's your guy and you intend to vote for him. Absolutely. Okay. And a lot of the women that I know that are around my age, and I'm in my mid-40s, um, feel the same way. And and that's just, um, you know, because 
you got to look at not necessarily who he is, but what he's doing. Got it. Okay, thanks for the call. Appreciate it. 414-799-1620. This is the discussion that I want to have. If you're on the line, please hold on. One open phone line, 414-799-1620. I want female input. I want women. But I want your impressions of whether you, like this headline says, and it's a loaded headline, suburban women recoil as Trump, as Trump dives into racial politics. We continue the conversation in just a moment. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Let's talk to Susie in Port Washington. Susie, good afternoon. Hi, good afternoon. Um, I want to say two particular points that I really like about President Trump. The first one is that he brings issues to the forefront. He never lets anything sit hidden. Um, and the second one is that he, I'm sure he is as sick of the double standard as the rest of us are. He, um, he doesn't let anybody um, intimidate him. Um, he brings it out that if this said this and then that said that, then what's the difference? Okay. Um, are you put off by... I don't know by by the tweets by the you know the the the, the tit for tat type of stuff that goes on. Does that bother you at all? No. Okay. Got Not it. at all. Okay. Good enough. Thanks for the call. Appreciate it. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Again, I, the, the headline of this and, and this is going to get a lot of play. This is going to be reprinted everywhere. I predict suburban women recoil as Trump dives into racial politics. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Sue in Sussex. Sue, thanks for waiting. Hello. Yeah, hi, Jeff. Um, definitely, I'd vote for him in 2020. I voted for him in 2016, which that was a long shot. And I think he has proven himself time and time again that he is in that White House for the American people. And he's going to do what it takes to keep us safe, to build our military, to do whatever he can for our veterans. He is right on point, and he's got my vote. Okay, let me ask you the same question I've asked the first two callers. Are you... From a female perspective, are you put off by the, the president's demeanor and the tweets and, you know, the, the interactions with, with, you know, people, whether it's, you know, the congressman from Baltimore or the congresswomen, the, the squad or whatever? Does that put you off? No, it does not. Honestly, I think it's his way of exploiting what is going on. I mean, obviously, these Democrats really walk right into his trap when he does that stuff. And he exploits them. Okay. I mean, I honestly didn't know what was going on in Baltimore that much. You know, I live out here in the Midwest. Right. I didn't know. And honestly, it's a shame that that's going on. And these politicians are making millions of dollars and nothing is happening in their areas. That's that's sick. Okay. All right. Good enough. Thanks for the call. Appreciate it. All right. I'm just, again, I'm, I am intrigued by this because, I mean, here, this is the reality if... The 2020 election is going to be a different dynamic than the 2016 election, which, as I said earlier, I, I believe in retrospect, and you can say, oh, Jeff, you didn't see the, the Trump victory coming, and I didn't. Um, most pundits didn't, in, in my defense. But, I mean, I think that was a referendum on Hillary Clinton. This is going to be a different election. But the truth is that uh, particularly among um, white women, you know, President Trump did did relatively well, and that was enough to, you know, win narrow victories in some swing states. If he loses, 
you know, suburban women in Brookfield. Um, you know, that that's going to just change the dynamic. 414-799-1620. Let's see. Let's go to Barb in Franklin. Barb, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Oh, hi, Jeff. Hi, um, I definitely will be voting for President Trump again, without a doubt. Um, okay. I waited a lifetime for a president who calls it like he sees it. Speaks my language. I love the guy. I'm happy with his border uh, um, issues. I'm happy that he's pro-life. The economy is great. Mm-hmm. What's not to like? Well, I mean, I guess it does it. I mean, some people might say, oh, this guy, you know, he's racist. He's, you know, anti-woman. You know, look at some of the stuff he says. He's um, unpresidential. You, does that, any of that resonate with you? Not a bit. Again, he calls it like he sees it. Um, nowadays, everything anyone says is racist, so no, that does not bother me a bit. Got it. Okay, thanks for calling. I appreciate it. Let's talk to Colleen in Mequon. Colleen, you're on WTMJ. Hi. I just wanted to call in real quick, and I uh, echo everything that these other ladies are saying. Um, one thing that I haven't heard, at least when I was listening, is another thing that he is pro for is the vet. And right. I love that about him. And, and again, everything that these other gals are talking about, I totally echo. Uh, pro-life, the economy. Um, okay, let me ask you this. Did, did, you yeah. vote for, did you vote for President Trump in 2016? I did. Okay. Um, remember back in the campaign when the, the stuff, the Access Hollywood stuff came out, and you know he's talking to Billy Bush about, you know, he likes to go up and grab women and things like that. Yeah. How, how did you react to that? I mean, I, I'll be honest that it, you know, that wasn't favorable with him. And, um, I think all women, when they heard that, I mean, if you didn't feel anything, there's, you know, you, you gotta have some emotion there. But, um, but I think that everybody's human. Everybody does make some mistakes, including Democrat, uh, presidents also and other politicians. And I just think in general, for the most part, everything that he's done has been a very positive for our country and for our people. Good enough. Thanks for the perspective. That's what I'm asking for. And again, this is I'm what, what, what started this conversation was, again, this premise of the story that suburban women are recoiling as President Trump drives into racial politics. Let's see. Lori and Fond du Lac. Lori, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi, Jeff. How are hi, you? Hi, Lori. What do you think about all this? I do not like Trump. I voted for him, and I'm embarrassed that I voted for him. Why did you vote for him? Because you didn't like Hillary Clinton? Yes. Okay, got it. All that right. was basically the only reason. It was the better of two evils. Okay. Well, that that's what everybody's saying. It's a binary <laughs> choice. You know, you had to pick yeah. between Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. All right, what, what about the last couple years has turned you off? I mean, we've had a bunch of women callers saying the economy is good. You know, it's he's doing stuff for the vets, et cetera, et cetera. Why have you soured on him? I I think I soured on him right away. I don't I don't like the way he talks. I don't like I think he's a bully to mm-hmm. everybody. Um he's not I know everybody says he's not presidential, but and I don't know really the definition of presidential, but he's so immature. Mm-hmm. I feel like he's a overgrown bully. Um, <laughs> he's yeah, the word bully. He's like okay. a teenager. <laughs> In the president's in the president's um, house, and I feel I'm just so embarrassed by him. Okay, I'm, L- let me ask you this: Do you, have you pretty much decided that that it doesn't matter who the Democrats nominate, you're going to vote for that candidate as kind of a vote against Trump, or 
<laughs> or or if 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 it's if it's Bernie Sanders or somebody that's looking to completely and totally revamp American society, might that make you reconsider your vote? Yeah, but when, isn't there any possibility that somebody will run against Trump for that? Yeah, not going to happen. Would that not work? No. And not, it's 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 there, there's nobody of significance out there, and it's pretty late. No, that's you know what I was what I always kept thinking, Lori, is I was thinking at some point in time, and I always try to personalize this stuff. I was, if I had all the money that that President Trump has. I might reach a point where I say, I just don't need this aggravation. I'm 70-some years old. You know, I'm I'm going to be a one-term president. I'm going to declare victory. I'm going to say I'm the greatest president ever and then just, you know, retire and play golf for the rest of my life. I thought there might have been a chance that that was going to happen, but I was wrong on that one, too. So, oh, that is very pathetic. I don't even know if I'm going to want to vote. Yeah, no, thank, well, I mean, see, that see that's, okay, for people who are asking me for instant analysis of the 2020 election, and I get the caveat is I didn't see the Trump win in 2016 coming, I keep saying it depends, because I, I think it really does depend on who the Democrats nominate, because if, if, if it's a referendum purely on President Trump, that's one thing. If, on the other hand, and in some respects, I think the Democrats have kind of played into President Trump's hand on this, if if it's, you know, if we're, if the Democrats nominate somebody who's the, these, a quasi-socialist who wants to blow up the health care system and open the borders and pay off all the student loans and things like that, well, that's a different dynamic that, that's out there. And I guess I, I just don't know. I'm sorry, we've had jammed phone lines on this. And I, I, I throw this out there because... Um, I'll tell you what, I, I want I want to take one more call before we leave. Jenny in New Berlin. Jenny, you're on WTMJ. Thanks for waiting. Hi. Hi um, so I think I agree with what you just said. That's that's my stance, really. I, I don't care for Donald Trump as a person. I think he's a horrible person. And um, the way that he treats people, um, the things that he says, like his just general buffoonery um <laughs> it is embarrassing to okay. our country that he's our leader yeah um i do also have to agree though as a conservative woman that you know under his leadership our country does seem to be moving in the right direction with um you know unemployment uh stock do, market all sorts of things sure yeah um but i truly feel that as much as i can't stand him as a person, and I really don't want to see him be president any longer, it would really depend who he is running against. I can't commit one way or the other because, I mean, the other person could be worse. Yeah, well, no, no, I I think that, I think that's fair, and I think that's, I just, I think that's the reality. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Okay, let's try this again. We tried it an hour ago, and, and both my producer, grew and Melissa failed miserably. Melissa, do you know what tomorrow is? Cream Papapalooza. Absolutely. Drew, do you know what tomorrow is? <laughs> I was listening. <laughs> the trade deadline. <laughs> the trade deadline, and it's Cream Papapalooza. Yes. We do this every year before the start of the Wisconsin State Fair, 6.20 tomorrow morning. Um, we will begin giving out free, free, three packs of Cream Puffs to the first 620 vehicles. We do this to get everybody in the mood for the Wisconsin State Fair. Something else we do to get everybody else in the mood for the Wisconsin State Fair is bring in... The fairest of the fair, the CEO of the Wisconsin State Fair, Kathleen O'Leary. Hi, Kathleen. 
Hello. <laughs> uh, you you know, first of all, um, we, we always talk about weather and stuff. You have obviously done a good rain dance because the weather looks great for the first several days. It really does, and I'm so happy. I'm so happy, certainly for the vendors, most happy the fairgoers can come and have an enjoyable day all day long. They can stay all day because no one's going to get too hot. You know, they're not going to decide to not come that day because it's raining. Your That's it. <laughs> now, uh, you're going to be with me tomorrow morning, right, for this cream puff of palooza? I wouldn't miss it, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> That's, okay, let, let's talk a little bit about the 2019 State Fair. There's there's always the, the, the old favorites. That's one of the great things about the fair. There's stuff that all of us love. Um, what are some of the new things that people might find? You know what? We have a wonderful new exhibit called Dairy Lane. And, again, this is we have an agricultural showcase. That's what separates the state fair from other events and festivals. Um, agricultural is our cornerstone of the fair industry. So in the Lower Cattle Barn, there's a wonderful, brand-new, interactive exhibit. It's engaging. Everyone can come in. They can really understand the dairy process, the cheese-making process. It's fun for everyone. We like to say that we agitate while you're at the Wisconsin State Fair. <laughs> um, and something else that's, uh, that's new and, and wonderful is our exploratory park. We work with the DNR. They have a lovely exhibit in the front, and they're going to be showcasing a lot of the DNR aspects of um, the fishery and uh, the hatcheries and that type of thing. But if you walk a little further in, we have created a nice new space. It's an Asian inspired pond area. It's just tranquil. It's an oasis. Everything is from Wisconsin. All the plantings are from Wisconsin. And it's really a, a something you wouldn't imagine. When you're at the fair, you know the state fair, it's robust, it's vibrant, there's a lot happening, which we love. But now you just take yourself into this area, and it's, it's awesome. If you love gardening, if you love planting, if you love horticulture, this is certainly an area you want to, to spend some time in. Now, Kathleen, I know one of the things that, that is a priority for you and a lot of the other people at the fair is, is figuring out ways to, to make it affordable for people to come out and bring their families and stuff. So there's, there's all sorts of great deals that, that you offer during the run of the fair that we want to encourage people to check out that they can, they can help them, you know, get in for, for less money than maybe otherwise. Absolutely. We profess to be the most affordable event for the price that you pay. Hopefully, um, listeners have taken advantage of all of the discounts that we've been running since May up through the time that we opened the fair. But if you haven't and you want to come out on opening day, which I highly suggest with this beautiful forecast for its hunger task force, well, Fargo Day, if you bring in two non-perishable food items, we're suggesting pears and peaches, um, you will get into the Wisconsin State Fair from the time that we open our gates at 8 o'clock in the morning, which is very early, and also a suggestion I'll make, but from 8 o'clock in the morning until 4 p.m. for $2. Two non-perishable food items Ooh. will get you into the Wisconsin State Fair for $2 from 8 a.m. to 4. Wow. It's, it's really, and now you're getting back, certainly, the, you know, there's such a need for food right now, so you're doing such a great thing. You've done your good deed for the day, and you get to enjoy the wonderful experience at the Wisconsin State Fair. The other really great, there's, just two, there's two other ones I want to mention real quick, and that is Monday, August 6th, is Pulse Family Value Day. Adults get in for $6. Kids get in that are 11 and under 
free. Ooh. So another spectacular discount day. And on a Monday, so a great day to come to the fair. And then our final day, we certainly always just our small token to say thank you to our military and veterans in conjunction with Miller Highlight. But it's, um, the military the veterans bring in their military ID. Not only do they get in for free, but they get in with their families as well from 8 in the morning until 4. And everything is dedicated to the military that day. Central Mall, we have a military recognition, and then we dedicate our parade as well. Well, we want to encourage people, obviously, to come out to the fair. We also, you've got all the schedules of all the different entertainment and stuff. That's up on your, your website, so people can check that out, find out some of the other special deals and stuff. I, you know, one of the things, and I, I've told you this, I, I just love wandering around the fair, and I, I, I mean, I love going through the craft barn and looking at all the different stuff and trying to figure out what's going to be the hot item this year. And I love walking to some of the stages. You just, you never know when you're going to find a, a cover band that's playing those tunes that are the soundtrack of your lifetime or whatever. It's just a lot of fun. And, and every year is the same, but every year is different, too. We like to certainly pride ourselves on our tradition. We're a so the things that people have come to love, they still can be assured that they'll be here. But we like to always sprinkle in fresh and exciting. And exactly to your point, Jeff, there's 30. So sometimes when you think of a fair, you have this you know, idea of what that means. And certainly in agriculture and the slicers and dicers and great shopping. But our stage is you will walk 10 feet and you will get back to we said. Here's a great cover band. Then you walk 20 more feet. And here's a nice jazz trio. Yeah. Then you walk 40 feet and you have someone in the middle of the street doing something awesome like fire throwing or something <laughs> crazy. So you are definitely entertained at every turn at the Wisconsin State Fair. Kathleen, we will talk again, and I will see you tomorrow morning for Cream Puff of Palooza. Bright and early. Funny. <laughs> we'll be there. Thank, thanks for the call. That is, of course, my dear friend Kathleen O'Leary, who is the longtime face of the Wisconsin State Fair, and uh, for the last couple of years, she's the boss. She is the CEO, just a, a great cheerleader for just a wonderful event like 168 years of State Fair history. Um, and it's just, I, again, I it, if I sound geeked up about the State Fair, it's because I am. I just, I, I enjoy it. There's a lot of other great festivals, and I love Summerfest and stuff, but there's something special about the State Fair. So we do encourage you, if you're coming out to the fair, stop by our broadcast facility. It is in the same place it has been just forever. You can come watch us do the show. And like I said, I try to come out during the breaks and annoy my producer back here at the station. He'll be going, Jeff, Jeff, you need to get back here. Jeff, you've got a live read. Jeff, don't do this. But I like to come out and say hi anyway. So if you're stopping by, um, we'll look forward to that. The Wisconsin State Fair kicks off Thursday morning. Gates open at 8 o'clock tomorrow. Cream Puff a Palooza. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. I think this guy might have a legitimate beef. Now, I always... I'm cautious when people play the race card because I think sometimes, I think oftentimes that that is overused. You know, we talked the last couple of days about, you know, Donald Trump gets mad at this representative from Baltimore who's just kind of harassing and bullying the Homeland Security guy, you know, and he lashes out talking about, hey, you know, instead of complaining about stuff at the border, you know, you, you're, you're, you represent West Baltimore, which is, you know, rat infested and crime ridden, you know, you should spend more time, you know, paying attention to that. And people scream racism because, 
you know, it's it's a black congressman and he represents a predominantly black district. I don't buy that. I'm I'm, I'm sorry. I mean, at least in that particular case, I, I don't think you get a pass um, just because you happen to be African-American. You know, I mean, you, you want to pick on Trump. He decides to fight back. This is a local story that, that's got kind of a different touch to it. And I always ask myself the question, if this had been me or you, grew. What would have happened? So here's the deal, the way the Journal Sentinel reports it. Headline is, a Milwaukee man said he was racially profiled while trying to return blinds at the Home Depot in Wauwatosa. Here's the story. A Milwaukee man said he was the victim of racial profiling after he tried to return blinds at the Wauwatosa Home Depot. Now, immediately when I see that, I'm thinking, okay, people, you know, racial profiling, this is a card which gets played often. All right, here's the story. After buying blinds for his house... The guy gets them home, notices they were a different shade than he had wanted. So he went back to the Home Depot on July 24th to exchange them. The man, who is black, put the boxes in a cart and walked through the store to the blind section. With his receipt in his hand, he compared the blinds that he purchased with other ones that were on the shelves to find the right shade. He then walked to the customer service desk where he tried to return two boxes that he'd already purchased and then buy three others. Okay, so he's got the two that don't fit. Now he wants three new ones. Before I could even finish, the security guard grabs my arm. He went with the loss prevention officer expecting an apology once they realized what was going on. Instead, the officer accused him of trying to do an illegal return. He said, I didn't come into the store with any boxes. The man, the customer, said, well, you better check surveillance video, which would prove the story. And by the way, he's got a receipt. Um, He was told that they could not access the video footage. All right, that's when the customer decided to call the Wauwatosa police. If I stole something and I'm wrong, let justice prevail and let me be punished. According to the police report, he was accused of attempting to fraudulently return three boxes of blinds. There was confusion about whether he actually tried to commit fraud or whether there was a communication issue between the loss prevention and the return desk clerk, the report said. The clerk told the customer that the loss prevention officer cut her off while she was trying to explain what was going on. Police found no wrongdoing by the customer, but Home Depot asked him to leave and banned him from the store for stealing. He says, I wasn't arrested or detained by the police or anything. A district manager from Home Depot called him on July 26 to apologize and rescind the ban. He said he hasn't been back to the store to exchange the blinds since the ban was lifted. And he says, hey, I, I think this was I was a victim of racial profiling. Our number is 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I always try to put myself in this position. Okay, so I I think the facts are undisputed. The guy buys a couple boxes of blinds. He gets them home. They're, They're not right. He goes back to the store with the blinds. He's got the receipt in his hand. Now, I don't know... I think I might have just taken them back to the, the service counter, if that had been me. But he's got the receipt in his hand. So he goes back to the area where there's blinds. He compares what he bought 
with, you know, ones he's going to buy. And then he goes back up to the service desk to buy the three and return the two. But he's got the receipt in his hand all the time. And some security guy, some loss prevention guy grabs him and they accuse him of stealing. Our number is 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. If this is what happened, I got to tell you, if this was me, you know, a middle-aged white guy, I don't think I would be treated that way. I, I just, I, I don't. And I don't know exactly what's going on here. But I have to tell you, from my perspective, if I'm, if I'm doing this and I've got the receipt in my hand proving that, you know, I, I purchased blinds. I mean, to, that, to me, that's one of the keys. I get it if you go back into this store and you don't have a receipt and you've got two things that you bought and then you go back and you get three more and you try to return stuff. I, I understand how that raises suspicion. But if I've got the receipt in my hand for a purchase of blinds that day, I don't understand how Home Depot, Depot could have behaved in the way that they did. 414-799-1620. And I, I will sincerely tell you, if if this was me, I don't think I would be treated that way. And I'm not one of these guys that goes overboard on, you know, well, there's got to be this racism and stuff, but there's there's something fishy about this. And I do, I mean, I understand why he's wondering, you know, was he treated differently because of his race? 414-799-1620. Let's start with Jane in Greendale. Jane, you're on WTMJ. Hi, I'm Jean, and the, oh, Jean. the thing of it is, is that causes more problems between the different groups of people. I've had it because I'm older, where people call me old lady, you should go home. <laughs> I get out when I can because I take care of an Alzheimer's guy. You know, I love to shop late at Myers because that's when you get all the good donuts. <laughs> okay. So, you know, there's different kinds, kinds of prejudice, but that is so blatant, it's ridiculous. They should have a public apology in the newspaper. Right. So and you, on your radio so you yeah. think your sense is that if, if this was you, you'd purchase the blinds, you know, they're not right, you've got the receipt in your hand, you go back and you go to compare the blinds you bought with the blinds, you know, you yeah. want a different color, and then you go up, you don't think there's any way that you would have gotten jacked up by a security guard? Well, it, it depends. It depends mm. on their mood that day. You know, I've had no, no problems with returning things at Kohl's yeah. because maybe, you know, because Kohl's is, a, is basically the Wisconsinite. <laughs> yeah, so, but I, mean, I guess thanks to call. I guess I, I just, I mean, I just can't get past that the person had a receipt. You, you know, and I, I'm trying to, I, I just, I just can't even imagine that how this would be an issue. And I mean, I could again, I, I understand this. Oh so, well, why would you take the blinds that you bought, and, and why would you take them in? Well, because you're, you bought them. They're the wrong color. You're trying to, you know, look at the other choices that they have because you want to make sure that they're different than the blinds you bought. Believe me, I, I can understand th- this whole thing, but it's and and apparently, at least according to the police report, there appears to be the security guy, the the loss prevention guy, is like interrupting the 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 person at the desk or whatever who's taking this back. I mean. I get, but before you grab somebody, white, black, brown, green, or whatever, and accuse them of stealing, you, you better have a darn good basis for doing that. And again, I don't know if this was racial profiling or not, but it, it's it just sounds completely and totally wrong. And then you toss the man out, and then you accuse him of stealing and ban him. Really, four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Um, let's take a quick break. We'll be back with more calls in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. 
This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. Linda in Racine. Linda, thanks for waiting. Hello. Hi. What do you think? You know, I'm not like that, but I will tell you, I definitely think it was racial profiling. At the minimum, it was discrimination because had that loss prevention officer been doing his real job, he would have focused in on the receipt in the man's hand. What does he have in his hand? It, it never that was never mentioned. It didn't get there because as soon as this man walked in, he saw a black man, something in his car. Mm. He if he had taken the time, which is what he is supposed to be doing, look at what's in his hand. Oh, he must have a problem. He's got a, a receipt yeah. in his hand. Maybe I can inform somebody in the store to watch him. And again, the people in the store were lapsing at the desk once he interrupted at the desk. Somebody should have stepped up and said, "This man has a receipt." Yeah, yeah let's let's look. Let's, yeah, let's let's look at his receipt and let's look at the items he has. He says he says he purchased a couple sets of blinds, you know, an hour ago. Okay, you're gonna the receipt's gonna tell you that one way or the other. Exactly. You're gonna figure out quickly whether or not he's trying to pull a scam or not. It would, and again, the loss prevention officer. It is your job to watch people coming in and out of the store. You can't retain memory enough to know that, oh, I just saw this man come in here an hour ago. Yeah, yeah. No, and, you know, it's, it's, it's just sad that it had to happen because I shopped the Home Depot here in Machine, and I've never experienced that. But, again, there should be some retraining for those people at the store to handle these situations better, yeah. as well as the loss prevention officer I, I, you know, I think if he had totally been doing his job, look at what's in somebody's hand. Well, I, I mean, I just think before you before you detain somebody and accuse them of being a thief and Get ban the them from the store, you better be darn sure that you're right. And and everybody agrees that this guy wasn't a thief. That so that's that's not an issue. So somewhere along the line that their procedures screwed up and and whether it was racially motivated or just, you know, the guy was was just wrong in the way he approached it, it's it's a problem. And you know, I just and I guess I understand why this man felt angry about this. I mean I certainly would feel angry if somebody was accusing me of being a thief and I'm standing there with a receipt in my hand. Exactly. You're an honest person. You're walking in, you know, you just want to get the job done at your house. And again, get all your facts before you move in on somebody. And then to add insult to injury, you ban them from the store. Right. No, I'm, I'm with you. Now, thanks to call Linda. Now, a number of texters are saying, well, okay, this is partly brought on by the man because he, he should have when he came in, he should have taken the items he has, and he should have taken them and returned them, and then, you know, then gone on and made the new purchase. And if he had done that, that wouldn't have created the issue. I, I you know, maybe. I mean, I guess, but, but at the, at the same time, I, I was trying to think of of an example. I mean, and now I don't. I, I have nothing against like the, these big box hardware stores, uh, Home Depot and stuff. I don't shop at them. I tend to I tend to shop at the local hardware stores, and it's a different dynamic. Okay, it's a, I I appreciate that. I, I'm sure there's I'm sure there's a lot of people that are out there, you know, shoplifting, and I'm sure at some of these big stores it, it's a lot worse. But I mean, I, I was trying to think of an example, and I, I'll give you one. I um I we have smoke detectors at our house, and and uh, several months ago. One of the smoke detectors, the, the, the battery 
it was low, and so the battery was going off, and so I had to change the battery. And I noticed as I got up on the ladder that the the smoke detector it was cracked, right? It it, it was cracked, and I'm thinking, okay, well, and it was sort of held together by tape or something. I said, instead of just replacing the battery, I'm going to replace the, the smoke detector. And so I go over to the local hardware store, and I, I got the wrong size smoke detector. I, I just I I should have taken the one that was up on the on the ceiling, and I should have taken it, but I didn't. So I go and I thought I knew what the size was, and I got a size that was too big. So I I had to return the smoke detector I had purchased and get a new one. So I walk into the local hardware store, and actually it's the same sort of thing. I've got the smoke detector that I purchased. I've got my receipt, and I I went to where the smoke detectors were because I wanted to make sure this time that I was going to get the right size. And and I found the right size, and they came out and they helped me, and they returned because I had the receipt. They they took the one I had back, and there there was no problem. It it was just so... You know, I, I guess maybe this man could have avoided some of this stuff. He had gone to the return desk right away, but that's not the issue. I mean, they called him a thief, and he wasn't. Mary Kay in Oconomowoc. Mary Kay, you're on WTMJ. Hi. Thank Hi. you for letting me talk to you, Jeff. Sure. Um, I know how your position is, but I've been in the position that the gentleman has been in with a larger item. And two things, I really think that everybody, no matter who you are, you go to the front desk right when you walk in. It's right there at Home Depot. You just say, hey, I'd like to take this back and return it for something else. They could just put a tape on it or a stamp on it or something to prevent any mix-up. And then if you need to take it back, you've yeah. got some proof that you've walked in with it. And I always stop every single store. Can I bring this bag in? I'm returning it. Would you like to hold on to it? Well, I, I ask ahead of time so I never get myself in that situation. On the other hand, Home Depot might need to change their procedures on how they deal with returns large items like that, putting a sticker on when it's sold so people don't get accused unnecessarily and and also teaching people how to um, talk to people properly and not right right away jump on them. Right, or or maybe, right, no, no, thanks, Nicole, or maybe what you want to do is, is, and I, 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 I don't think they have signs like this, but maybe if that's the thing, put up big signs that say, you know, all returns, you know, should be brought immediately to the return desk. And, and I, I acknowledge that that eliminates the thing. I, I have a text here. I'll, I'll read, I want to read a portion of it. I work for a Home Depot, not this one, in the blind department. Um, we have a huge problem with theft. The customer should have stopped at the service desk first so the merchandise could have been tagged. Even with a receipt, there's no guarantee that that customer bought the blinds. Um, Yeah, but he's got a receipt for it. Okay. With that said, it sounds like the store overreacted. You cannot accuse someone of stealing something unless there's proof. Blinds are not a high-theft product, and he wanted to exchange them. So, again, an overreaction to buy the store. I do have a problem with automatically jumping inclusion that's racial profiling, which, of course, that's – I, I mean, and again, that that's what people are going to have to decide. I mean, I do wonder, you know, if it's a middle-aged white guy, would it have been treated in the same way? And I do think this this texture makes an interesting point too. You know, blinds are not a high theft product. My guess is that you know, if you're a loss prevention person, you you know what the stuff is that that's likely to get stolen. My guess is it would be power tools and and things like that. I, I don't imagine that you've got blind, you know, I mean, come on, they're blinds. I, I don't imagine there's a huge black market in, in blinds, you know, they're stolen. I, I guess whether it was racial profiling or not, this, you, you can't accuse 
somebody of stealing. That leaves you open to all sorts of lawsuits, and it's wrong unless, you know, you've got the proof that somebody, you know, was stealing. If you see the guy, you know, coming in without blinds, for example, you know, and, and they're on video, well, okay, then you've got the proof. that they, they were wrong in that assessment, and I think everybody agrees with that. The man feels it was because of racial profiling. I, I don't know. But you certainly leave yourself open to that. And, yes, I guess maybe the lesson is if you want to avoid this whole thing, you know, go to the desk first and and, deter, and, and drop that off. But at the same time, I, I, I can understand why you might not have, have thought to do that, especially if you've got the receipt in your hand. Now, I understand that there's ways you can rip people off with that, but I, I, Home Depot did not handle this right at the store level. They're trying to make it right. You know, they've now apologized and things like that. But, you know, you, you, you got to think these things through. And in this particular case, I don't think Home Depot, Home Depot did a very good job of that. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. <laughs> We've really touched the nerve with that Home Depot story. I'm being swamped with text. Jeff, I disagree. The man should have returned the two blinds before getting the third. He wanted to make sure the new colored blinds were actually what he wanted. He couldn't do that if he didn't have the two to compare. Been there and done that. I, I guess the, the alternative would be, though, you, you go to the desk. You say, I want to make this return. They put a tag on them so... Everybody knows that he's returned them. Um, Terry in Waukesha says, you know, he was asking for trouble. I never carry items into stores without stopping at the desk. And I guess I, I, I do you avoid some of these problems if they do that? Yet, Yes, you do. You, you, you unquestionably do. It doesn't change my impression, though, that Home Depot, you, you don't accuse people of being a thief and detain them unless – You've got the goods to prove that they are, in fact, a, a thief. And I, I think that's and, – and you don't if, – if apparently in this case they didn't have video footage and they were just flat out wrong, and that's where it becomes an issue. Um, but it's probably not bad practice to just say, hey, I'm returning this particular thing. Can you help me find what I want? And I'd like to – let's do whatever we have to do so I can go back and look and see how what I bought – was bigger or smaller than what I really need, something like that. Hey, one final thought before we turn it over to John and Melissa. I have been, I've been talking for months now about how the city of Milwaukee is absolutely correct that it's way past time to tear down the Northridge Mall. You know, I mean, look, I, I grew up, as I said, around here when Northridge, I mean, I remember Northridge in its heyday. The thing is, Northridge, it is an eyesore and it is dangerous. Northridge has been allowed to fall into disrepair. There's this company that owns it, and they've been floating these grandiose plans for the last decade or so about how they're going to turn it into an Asian trademark. Everybody I know who know, and I have some friends who know an awful lot about shopping centers and things like that, they tell me that it's all BS. That's, that's not the word they're using. They're saying that this, in the, today's economy and given you know the way businesses operate and given how malls are in decline, there's no way that this company, you know, after all these years, is going to really make this thing happen. It's just not going to occur. So what the city is trying to do is they want to tear it down. Well, the other day you had the situation where one of the maintenance people working on there was electrocuted because apparently 
what happened was, you know, vandals have gone into the building. They've stripped the copper wires out of, you know, electrical boxes and things like that. Uh, apparently, one of the maintenance workers' story is he, he touches one of the boxes and he gets himself electrocuted. I don't think he realized that the power was on. We Energy says, well, no, the, the, the power was, in fact, on. You know, I, now one guy is dead because you have this decrepit eyesore that's been you know, allowed to sit there for years and years. It's been vandalized, and now somebody is dead because of what's going on. Now, will there ultimately be a lawsuit, maybe against the owners of, of Northridge? You know, maybe. That, that's entirely possible. But the bigger picture is, you know, it's way past time to level that building because this has been a long time in coming, and now somebody's dead. The longer you leave that up there, the more it's going to deteriorate, and the more the chances are that there's going to be more vandalism or somebody else is going to get injured when they're trying to work on it. Look, I, I'm sorry this is what's happened to Northridge. I, I really am, and I don't know what the answer is. I don't know. I mean, retail's probably not the answer out there, and I don't know if light industrial is going to work. I just know that leaving this decrepit, dangerous failed mall still standing out there is asking for trouble one person has already died and and it's time for the city to move on i know the city is proceeding with this the company is trying to fight it if the company tries to fight it in court some judge needs to decide very very quickly because every day that mall stands up again it's another day that somebody else could get hurt whether it's kids that are breaking in to vandalize the place or whether it's maintenance workers that don't realize that hey the 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 transformer box has been stripped of its cables, but the power is still on, and if you touch it, you might get electrocuted. Time to do away with Northridge once and for all. When we come back, we're going to find out what John and Melissa have on their minds on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Please stick around.